0: Good morning, church. My name's Bryce, and I'm our pastoral intern, but I think we need to celebrate the folks going off the stage right now one more time, the musicians this morning, and the choir. Amazing. Amazing. I often wish that God had gifted me in the way of singing well, and uh, I'm reminded often when I try to hit notes like Chan just hit that he did not, and that is okay. Okay. I'm going to use my voice another way today, and I'm excited you're here. I want us to throw a picture back up on the screen that you saw a moment ago. This is over 50 students and uh, too many leaders and staff to even count. Myself, I'm in the right-hand corner on the bottom there. At worship workshops this past week, three-day intensive, much of it was about music and worship and how that's done here at Mount Hora, production element was included as well. But this year, for the very first time, me and Trevor got a chance to walk alongside six of those students in a pastoral ministry track. It was incredible. So we talked a little bit about what it means to be a pastor. But then it culminated, on Wednesday morning, they gave their own sermon. They studied for their own sermon all day Tuesday, put it together, used a passage of their choosing between four or five that we gave them, and they did it. So I say that to you today, to simply give once again another thank you. To you as a congregation. Because without not only your financial generosity, but without your generosity in terms of building relationships with folks like myself who have come through the student ministry and supporting all that the student ministry is doing and now our worship team is doing as well, it would not be possible without you. So I didn't want to miss that opportunity just to say thank you. This morning I want to take you throughout Scripture to try to find the answer to a looming question. There was a study done by the Pew Research Center in 2021 all about this question, and the question went a little bit something like this. It's a very easy one to answer. What is the purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? That is the very question that the Pew Research Center posed to thousands of Americans, and these were some of the most common responses. When asked, what is all this about? What's the purpose of life? 49% of people said to take care of my family. 20% of people said to have friendships. And 18% of people said material well-being. Now those were three of many different answers given. In and of themselves, each of those three answers are not bad things. Instead, they are good and helpful things. However, there weren't many people after their research was finished that added anything Jesus into the mix. You see, I believe that the Bible itself confronts us as people with the same exact question. At some point in your life, if you haven't already, you will be confronted with the same exact question. Why am I here? What is humankind here for? There is a literary document that we are pulling from this morning, Chad and I both, called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Maybe you've heard of this before. Other denominations love to read and study and memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and for very good reason. It is a summary, in essence, of Christian doctrine in the form of 107 questions and answers. And I'm pleased to let you know today that our team has given me four hours with you to unpack all 107. I'm kidding. But some of you thought I was serious, and that warms my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Instead, we are confronted with the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I would argue it's the most important that we address. What is the chief end of man? Have you ever thought about that? What is the chief end of man? Why am I here? Where is all this going? Why has God equipped me in such a way and created me uniquely in the way he's created me and placed me here on earth? As I said, I believe that every human being at some point or another will wrestle with this question and its answer, I believe, is provided in the scriptures. I believe in the scriptures we also see this wrestling taking place. You see, this is not a 2023 issue in question. This question was being asked as well by the writer of Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've read Ecclesiastes before. I'd invite you to turn with me to chapter two. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. And we're going to bounce today briefly between the Old and the New Testament. But I want to start us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. You see, as we're about to experience by reading this text, the writer of Ecclesiastes has achieved a lot in his life. And he's writing it all down and then looking backwards on all that he has built, all that he has created, all that he has achieved. This is what the writer says. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. And planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers, a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, the writer of Ecclesiastes seemed to come to the conclusion after looking backwards on some of his life that uh, created material things that this world can offer us were never meant to satisfy and give purpose to created beings like us. That could only stem from one place, and that's God himself. That's why in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they not only pose the question, what is the chief end of man, they also give the answer directly from the word of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If there's nothing else you leave with today, I would invite you to remember those two phrases. They're the two phrases that we're going to unpack, no doubt, in the next four hours, like I said. Kidding. What does it mean to glorify God and what does it mean to enjoy Him forever? I want to pray for us before we jump into the first piece. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we want to know the answers to our questions, especially about the purpose of our life here on earth. Some of us have begun life a short time ago, others of us are nearing its conclusion here on earth. And many of us here today have dedicated our lives, no doubt following Jesus with everything we've got, we pray that today you would teach us more about what it means to glorify you wholeheartedly with everything we have in every moment and to enjoy you forever, for that is the calling and the desire you have for us as your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. What does it mean to glorify God, that seems to be the first question that we need to talk just a little bit about. You see, that's a phrase that we sing about all the time. It's a phrase that we say to one another as to the reason we're even coming to church on a Sunday. Well, I'm coming so that I can glorify God. I want my life every morning when I wake up and I pray. I want my life to glorify the Lord. It's written in Scripture from place to place that we've read before. But what does it really mean and look like practically? To glorify the Lord in our church, in our community, and beyond. The Bible actually tells us the answer. And it tells us the answer in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, the scripture will be on the screen. This is what the Lord says about his people whom he has formed with his hands. He says, they are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for... The display of my splendor. Glorifying God in this world looks like putting on display who God is. His qualities, His nature, His characteristics. What we know to be true of Him, not because we've just read it, but because we've experienced it personally. You'll see a picture on the screen of a gift that I was given very recently by our own Jim Satkowski. He's sitting over here. And he is an origami master, okay? Okay. He is incredible. This is a $50 bill in the shape of a graduation cap, and I don't know how he did it. Okay, He actually gave me a $5 bill rolled up into a graduation uh, diploma, which currently is at Chick-fil-A, and it's been there for some time. <laughs> However, just being honest and transparent. Um, However, he he told me a few days ago, he said, you know, you're going to have to use that $50. Like, I gave it to you to use. The issue is, it looks like this. This, Like, you don't see this every day. You know, this isn't, I dropped it. This is incredible. Almost ruined it. This is what it looks like to display God's splendor. The reason is because when I first received it, my initial thought when I saw this, from Jim to me, was, oh my goodness, Jim is good at origami. He is incredibly talented and gifted in that area that I am not. You see, what I was doing was I was viewing a creation of gems that pointed out to me a quality of gems that I wanted to put on display. That's what it means to glorify God. It is, it is as if the Lord himself is holding us in the palm of his hand as his creation that he has created so beautifully, so uniquely, so individually, and showing us to the world. This is what I'm like. If you want to hear what I'm like, if you want to see what I'm like, all you have to do is look at my creation. That's what it means to put on display the qualities and the characteristics of God. That means his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his joy, and the list goes on. Glorifying God means to display God's Splendor, But the question that at least I am confronted with when I think about glorifying God is very, very simple. Why don't I always do it? Why is it that it's so true when Paul says in Scripture that we all fall short of the glory of God? We all fall short of the glorious standard of perfection that God has set up. Why is it that I fall short of always putting on display God's splendor? I would offer to you two potential reasons that is. The first one is the one that I'm probably most commonly guilty of, and this is, I elevate things to God's place. You see, whatever takes top priority in our life will be the thing we glorify and talk about most. That's why in conversations with me, you will hear about things like soccer. You'll hear about things like the schoolwork that I'm still doing in some capacity, the learning that I'm still doing in some capacity. But most importantly, hopefully, what you'll hear about is my relationship with Jesus Because that would show whoever I'm talking to that that's the priority for me. That's who I'm seeking to glorify. But oftentimes, if you're like me, you're guilty of putting things in God's position, in God's place in your life. Maybe for you, it is your job. And you say to yourself, look at this amazing career I've built. Maybe it's your achievements. Look at these amazing things, accolades that I've gained. Or maybe it's your wealth. Look at this amazing wealth that I've earned. You see, the issue with each of those statements is it takes God out of the equation and puts us into the equation in an unhelpful way. Because most often in our lives, what we elevate to the top of our lives is ourselves. We keep credit for ourselves After God does something, after God provides for us, after God blesses us in some type of way, we keep some of the glory for ourselves. And we misunderstand the fact. That those achievements and accolades and wealth and blessings and what, whatever it is for you would not have even been possible if it wasn't for the grace of God to begin with. You see, a relationship with Jesus would not even be possible if it wasn't for the grace of God. And we'd all be wasting our time here today. It's only because of the grace of God that any of us have the opportunity to glorify him in response. It is the grace of God over our lives that we desperately have to understand because maybe, just maybe, like I said, we misunderstand God's grace. You see, there's a story in the Old Testament that I would say to you with confidence today is one of the wildest, most bewildering stories in the Old Testament, at least when I read it. And it shows us what happens And how quickly we can elevate things to God's position and decide to glorify them instead. It's in Exodus 32. If you have a Bible with you right now, you can go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving instructions from the Lord God himself. Which then he will come back down the mountain and impart to God's people. And in Exodus 32, this is what we read the people are doing while Moses is on the mountain. Starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, Cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioning it with a tool. And then watch what the people said. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. How quickly the times changed. How quickly the focus of worship had shifted. You see, just before this moment, you may know this miraculous story. Of when the people of God were in captivity in Egypt. Slavery, oppression. And God freed them in a crazy way by making sure that they went through the Red Sea on dry ground while the Egyptians pursuing them behind them did not. And yet, just a short time after, the people of God have seemed to have forgotten and even misunderstood God's grace. You see, because God's grace captivates us in such a way that our response to it when we have experienced it is to share it, no matter our circumstances, no matter the season of our life. There is a story that I heard this week about someone who seemed to have understood God's grace for herself. She seemed to have understood that you didn't have to be perfect to glorify God. And to put on display his perfection. And honestly, that's the radical nature of the gospel right there. Is God uses imperfect people to point other imperfect people toward himself who is perfection. If we actually step back and think about that, that's crazy. And it's hard to believe, which is why it's worth believing in. Because it's not of this world. That's the good news that many of us in this room have accepted. But maybe, just maybe, there are some of us in this room who have not quite fully understood the significance and the majesty that is God himself and his showing of grace to us. Fanny Crosby understood it. She was born in 1820. Maybe you've heard of her briefly. She wrote 8,000 hymns. And yet, she was blinded as a child. She spent the majority of her life uh, blind and actually viewed it as a blessing. One time she wrote in her journal that it seems like God has intended that I should be blind all my life. She constantly daily thanked the Lord for her state of blindness to the point that she actually wrote in her journal that if sight was offered to her that very day, she would not accept it. She was so convinced That God was blessing her even amidst her situation where those around her probably thought otherwise. She realized that her blindness had become a gateway of praising and glorifying the Lord. She knew that God's grace over her life was all that she needed to put on display his grace and his goodness for others. She understood how Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, talking about us. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Maybe the question that we must answer today is slightly different. Maybe it sounds like this, does Christ's power actually rest on you? You see, many of us who have come to know Jesus, we we have the Holy Spirit inside of us living and and guiding us and, and blessing us in many ways. And yet some of us experience the power of God on Sunday mornings, and that's about it. I just wonder what would happen in our community if the power of Jesus Christ living inside of us, resting on us, would actually exist Monday through Saturday in our community as well. God's grace would flow far beyond these walls and yet would still exist within these walls as well. Glorifying God is a very clear command. It is the very thing that God has called us to, and it is because of God's grace and God's grace only that when people look at our lives, they cannot just see Bryce, they cannot just see you, they can see Jesus. And that is the desire of our Heavenly Father is that when people looked at us as he puts us on display, they would not just see us, they would see the work of his hands and be pointed back to him. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what he's up to. And that's his desire. You see, if we understand how God is working, if we understand how to glorify him by putting him on display, there's nothing in all creation, please hear me, there's nothing in all creation, that can steal our joy because it doesn't come from this world and that's why it's so important in not only the Westminster Shorter Catechism that says it but scripture itself to enjoy the Lord forever to enjoy the Lord forever there's a picture on the screen you might enjoy this is a picture of young Bryce playing his favorite sport with hair thank you Mike <laughs> that was too good. I wasn't ready for that. That was good. I forgive you. No um, kidding. So uh, this was taken at Lexington Soccer Complex, the Gibson Road Soccer Complex, right down the road. And my mom and I were trying to figure out how old I am in this picture. I'm not 100% sure. However, I knew one thing for sure when this picture was taken. I knew that soccer was going to be the thing that I enjoyed forever. I knew it's the sport that I wanted to dedicate my whole life to getting better at. I knew I was going to hopefully play in middle school and play for the high school and play in college, all the things that, by God's grace, I achieved. But chances are, in your life, there's something as well that as you look back or even look presently, there's something that you just have known for a long time. Like, I, I knew I was going to enjoy that. I knew that this was going to be the thing that I would enjoy forever. But when it comes to Jesus himself, when it comes to our relationship with God himself, what does it look like and sound like to enjoy God forever? I think Paul answers that question for us. He gives us some insight in one of uh, the hardest verses for at least me to actually live out. And it's in Philippians 4.4. Philippians 4.4 says, This. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. He needed to say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. That is a very difficult thing to do. You see, because in seasons when we have a mountaintop experience, when everything's great, it's very easy to do. But then we experience grief, we experience loss, maybe sudden loss, we experience pain. And we are tempted to lose focus of where our joy even comes from to begin with. You see, what the world offers us is happiness. And happiness I would define as circumstantial. Comes and it goes. Joy is something deep-rooted through the power of the Holy Spirit in a personal relationship and connection with Jesus Christ. It never disappears. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always are we daily living in awe of what god is doing because if we are there won't be much that can steal our joy are we daily living in awe of what god is doing are we sitting on the edge of our seats in every moment expectantly excitedly waiting for what god will do next i don't know the answer to that question i can only speak for myself and the answer is not very often There's another picture you'll see on the screens of a snapshot I took outside of my plane window at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And believe it or not, the beautiful sunrise in the background has nothing to do with why I took that picture. It is nice, though. You see, this very morning, I was not in Dallas. I was in Denver. We were on our way back from a Colorado Springs mission trip with our young adult ministry and if you know anything about me you know that Colorado Springs is my favorite place in the world that I've been and we had a great week serving the Lord out there and on the way to the Denver International Airport I'm sitting in our car on the way there and I get a text message from American Airlines. Now many of you who fly more than me know that when an airline texts you they're not saying happy birthday and they're not giving you hey next plane ride's is free uh, that'd be nice. No, they were texting me, telling me that our flight in Denver had been delayed so much so that we had to get a new flight the next day, which right before VBS started was going to mess some things up. So we had a decision to make, and we talked with the American Airlines folks at the Denver airport, and they basically told us two things. You have two options. The first option is you can listen to us because we know what we're doing, and you can get on the flight tomorrow that will get you back to Columbia a day later. We'll pay for everything. It'll be fine. I said, what's the second option? They said, the second option is you can take a big risk. And the big risk is that maybe, just maybe, your flight in Dallas would get delayed so much, like more than we've hardly ever seen, to the point where you would be able to catch it. I said, okay, well, I need to talk to our team. So we talked together as a team. And we decided that because we'd seen God do some crazy awesome things that whole week in Colorado Springs, we didn't believe he was done yet. And so we prayed. It was a bold prayer. You know, in that moment, meeting with our team, praying about, God, would you change something with our flight so that we catch our second flight as we need to, I was coming across maybe as confident, but internally, I was very skeptical. I was not 100% convinced that this was going to happen. We probably should have listened to them. They know what they're doing. There's tons of airplanes everywhere. They've, they've, they've been through this. And yet, when we get on the plane, an hour into our flight, which means we have also an hour before we land in Dallas, nothing has changed. And again, the, the, the disappointment and the reality is beginning to set in, right, inside of me. And then about 30 minutes before we hit the ground, the captain comes over, the speaker, the, the intercom in the plane, and says, there have been a few delays in Dallas. You might want to check your app, see if your flight is one of them. So I start scrolling through my app frantically, and I see that our flight has been delayed 10 minutes, and then 20 minutes, and then 30 minutes, to the point where now we had a 10-minute window to sprint off the plane to the other side of Dallas-Fort Worth. And if you've ever been to that airport, you got to take a Disney World monorail to get there. It's crazy. It's not like Columbia. So we're still questioning. There's, There's probably nowhere this is going to happen, right? And then as we pull into the gate, this very gate, the reason I took that picture is because I get one last notification on my American Airlines app, and it says, your gate for your next flight has changed, and it's D-40. We were pulling into D-38. That's our plane. And and I, 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 I kid you, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was probably one of the last ones off this plane. I was in awe. I was smiling, a bigger smile than I've ever had before. I could not even put into words what I had seen God do in a span of four hours that very day. What I was doing is I was sitting in awe of what God had just done. And expectantly waiting for what he would do next. You see, when we began that trip that day in Denver, my statement was very different. It sounded a little bit something like this. I'm afraid, I'm anxious, because I don't yet know how all this is going to play out. And then about 30 minutes before we landed, my my tone started to shift a little bit. My perspective shifted. And it was now, I'm excited and I'm expectant because I don't yet know how all this will play out, but I know God's in the middle of it. I know he's doing something. You see, this is what it comes down to. It's our perspective. Our perspective on the seasons and the circumstances in our life at times will be the make or break for whether we enjoy God forever forever, or whether we enjoy God when everything's good. It's all about our perspective. Are we willing to make a perspective change today? Because for some of us here in the room, When you think about these statements, when you think about enjoying God forever, even in the hardest seasons of your life, you're not thinking about a simple plane ride. You're thinking about a very, very difficult situation that you have now been presented with and God has invited you to steward it well by trusting him every step of the way and enjoying him every step of the way. Sitting on the edge of your seat expectantly waiting for what God will do next. That's the posture that I believe God desires we so desperately have. You see, the reason that we can change our perspective is because if you're like me and you've been following Jesus for a little while, you've probably read the end of the book by now. And you know how all this plays out. You know the story about the cross and how Jesus was hanging on it. And then we thought one ending would happen, and then another ending, which was far better, happened. And he's resurrected from the grave, and now he's back in heaven, seated next to the Heavenly Father. He's alive and well, and the Bible says he's coming back again. So between now and then, God has given us a duty. God has given us a purpose. God has given us responsibility. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, the same one we read a few moments ago. When he gets to the end of his writing, he's looked back on his whole entire life up to this point, And he sums everything up as simply as he can. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. The Bible makes it so clear for us that when we want to know what glorifying God looks like and sounds like, it starts with understanding God's majesty, His splendor, and His power. Because we can't put something on display we have no comprehension and understanding of. And once we do, we can display for the world the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. And in the process of life here on earth, we can show the world around us what true, pure joy is meant to look like and where it's meant to stem from and where it's meant to be focused toward. And it's all to the same place. That's God himself. God wants us to enjoy the time we are investing with him the time between now and when we enjoy eternity with him. I personally don't want my enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin at the gates of heaven. They will be magnified in a way I can't explain when I enter heaven. But right now, I don't want these years to be missed. I don't want these moments to be missed. I don't want these days to be missed. That I have the opportunity to enjoy every single moment with my Lord the writer of Ecclesiastes came to that humbling conclusion that if we would simply understand who God has shown us to be and then simply do things the way he says that are best they will be best we will have the joy we will experience the grace and our world will radically shift in a way that we can't do on our own it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that any of us can see the things we've been praying for. That's it. God has chosen to use people like you and I to accomplish his plans and his purposes, and he has been gracious enough to us to give us insight into what those purposes of our lives even are. But he's given us a responsibility in the matter to accept it personally. Nobody's going to accept it for you. Nobody's going to force you to go on this journey that will increase joy and include tons of joy. But if you choose to each moment, God will do everything he's promised to do. He will. He'll save souls around you. He'll bring people into communities just like this one. And he'll change our world like never before. If we'll simply fear God and keep his commands... Glorifying him every step of the way as we enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, this morning we desperately ask you in this place to get us to a point of action. Lord, show us how we can be your vessels to display your splendor, to display your glory all across this world. Lord, it takes all of us to accomplish the plans and the purposes that you have set forth. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us as human beings a true purpose and meaning that cannot be stolen from us, that cannot be tainted, that cannot be retracted. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a duty here on earth. May we be faithful stewards of every breath you have given us this day, that we may glorify you and put on display exactly who you are for the world around us that we are a part of. Will you increase our joy even in the toughest moments and seasons that we may truly be people who enjoy you forever. For that is our calling and your ultimate desire. It's in Jesus' name we pray.